We turn in the Holy Scriptures to Psalm 49. We're going to look at the psalm as a whole. So we'll read the whole psalm and the psalm in its entirety will be our text. Let us hear God's holy word. Hear this, all ye people. Give ear, all ye inhabitants of the world. Both low and high, rich and poor together. My mouth shall speak of wisdom, and the meditation of my heart shall be of understanding. I will incline mine ear to a parable. I will open my dark saying upon the harp. Wherefore should I fear in the days of evil, when the iniquity of my heels shall compass me about? They that trust in their wealth and boast themselves in the multitude of their riches, None of them can by any means redeem his brother, nor give to God a ransom for him. For the redemption of their soul is precious, and it ceaseth forever. That he should still live forever, and not see corruption. For he seeth that the wise men die, likewise the fool and the brutish person perish, and leave their wealth to others. Their inward thought is, that their houses shall continue forever, and their dwelling places to all generations. They call their lands after their own names. Nevertheless, man being in honor abideth not. He is like the beasts that perish. This their way is their folly. Yet their posterity approve their sayings. Like sheep they are laid in the grave, Death shall feed on them, and the upright shall have dominion over them in the morning, and their beauty shall consume in the grave from their dwelling. But God will redeem my soul from the power of the grave, for he shall receive me. Be not thou afraid when one is made rich, when the glory of his house increaseth. For when he dieth, he shall carry nothing away, his glory shall not descend after him. Though while he lived, he blessed his soul, and men will praise thee when thou doest well to thyself. He shall go to the generation of his fathers. They shall never see light. Man that is in honor and understandeth not is like the beasts that perish. Here we end our reading of the inspired scriptures. Beloved, in the Lord Jesus, Psalm 49 is a very interesting psalm, and as we read it, perhaps you noticed that it sounds a bit different than most of the other psalms, or at least many of them. Psalm 49 isn't addressed directly to God as a song of praise, but is rather spoken and directed to mankind. And that's because Psalm 49 is what we can call a wisdom psalm. Here the psalmist is a preacher with a harp in his hand. And the psalm that he sings is as much a sermon as it is a song. 
The opening verses of Psalm 49 sound a lot like Proverbs, and the content of this psalm reminds us of Ecclesiastes. It is a wisdom psalm, the purpose of which is to teach practical lessons for everyday life. Practical lessons not in trivial things, but in the weightiest matters indeed, matters of eternal weal and woe. The psalm begins with a call, and the call itself underscores the importance of the lesson of wisdom that is to be delivered. Hear this, all ye people, give ear, all ye inhabitants of the world. This psalm is addressed not just to God's people, but to all mankind, and to every kind of man, both low and high, rich and poor together. It is a warning and a calling of universal relevance to humankind. Verses 3 and 4 then begin leading us into the content of the psalm, the wisdom that will be conveyed. The psalmist speaks of the meditation of his heart that will be understanding. And the psalmist himself inclines his own ear to this instruction that he brings. There we see that he, as a fellow man, needs this instruction just as much as any other. I will open my dark saying upon the harp. Another way to render that or read that is, I will expound in song the meaning of a riddle. I will explain a piece of deep wisdom as I play the harp. This psalm, this psalm is the unfolding Of a fundamental tenet of Christian wisdom. Deep perception of the true nature of things. And a lesson that must be learned. As a person walks through this world. A lesson of eternal weight and significance. The wisdom, the insight into the true nature of things that this Word of God teaches us is really threefold. The focus of the psalm is upon the folly of mankind. The folly of mankind as he seeks salvation in the things of the world. The psalm exposes that folly and shows the vanity, the utter vanity of life apart from God. The psalm's purpose is also to show us that our only true hope is in God. And there is the kernel of Christian wisdom. That only the life lived in faith and in the fear of the Lord. Only that life leads to everlasting life. And finally the purpose of this psalm is to strengthen our faith. As we walk in the midst of this world. By vanity surrounded. The main point of this psalm is vividly expressed in the twice repeated refrain. A very stark phrase. Verse 12 and verse 20. Man that is in honor and understandeth not is like the beasts that perish. And the point of that refrain is that man was created to be the apex, the peak of God's creation. His greatest creature. 
And man was created to live before the face of his God and to love and to serve his God. But man in sin understands not the honor given him. And man instead turns and he lives for the things of this world and he seeks salvation in the things of this world and he makes life all about the things of this world. And in so doing, understanding not, walking not in the faith and fear of the Lord, he reduces himself to the level of a beast. And in the end, he perishes like a beast. The wisdom that leads one to escape the folly that enshrouds the world is the wisdom of Jesus Christ which sees our only salvation and hope in God. And so this psalm addresses one of the greatest temptations we have to fight against and flee from our whole life long. Worldliness in all of its forms. And it is a suitable psalm tonight. Tonight is New Year's Eve. In the past, this would have been our old year's service. We mark the passing of another year. We reflect on that year spent in this world. Surrounded by all of the siren calls of worldliness that say, Come serve me, I will give you the good life. Surrounded by the illusions of man's greatness. And as we enter into a new year, the world around us will be making its resolutions, how it's going to improve its life, what it's going to do. But we as Christians tonight, we take an opportunity to reflect upon this Word of God. And may this Word of God help us recenter our lives as we look back and as we look forward. What is above all things most important? What is my life about? What am I aiming at? A dark saying upon the harp. That's the psalmist's own phrase for the psalm here. And we take that as our theme. A dark saying upon the harp. We'll look at what this dark saying has to say to us under three points. Number one, exposing humanity's fatal folly. That's what the psalm does, is it exposes humanity's fatal folly. Secondly, illuminating our only hope. And finally, strengthening faith not to fear. Psalm 49 spends a lot of time exposing the fatal folly of fallen humankind. Folly that is ingrained in our nature such that apart from the grace of God, every single one of us would succumb to this fatal folly. And this fatal folly is the delusion of worldliness. That is, the pursuit of and the trust in the things of this world, whether it's wealth, success, fame, power... The quest to find happiness in things below and to ground our hope for the future in the things of the here and now. That's the way of the worldly man. We're going to use that term throughout the sermon tonight, worldly man. And what we mean by worldly man is simply the man who lives not by faith in Christ, but according to the impulses of the flesh. 
The worldly man is the man who does not have the fear of God before his eyes. But serves the idol of his own choosing. The man not of faith and the fear of the Lord. The man of the world. Verse 13 of the psalm. Speaks of the way of the worldly man. This their way. And way there refers to their course of life, their manner of living, their ways of thinking, doing, feeling, desiring. The whole course of a man's life, from his lifestyle to the inner workings of his mind. This their way. The natural lifestyle and way of mankind is here described. Verse 6. Gets right into it. They, that is worldly people, they that trust in their wealth and boast themselves in the multitude of their riches. Every human being is looking for something for his heart to rest in. Every person seeks happiness, security, hope for the future. Ecclesiastes 3 verse 11 says of man, That God has set the world in his heart. And the Hebrew word world there literally means eternity. God has set eternity in the heart of man. Such that human beings look for something that's lasting. Indeed ultimately everlasting. There's an eternity sized hole in the human heart. But in the darkness of man's sin. His willful turning away from God. Rather than fill that eternal sized hole in his heart with the only one who can fill it, the eternal God, he turns to the world. And he sets his heart upon the world. And he seeks to fill himself with the world. He refuses to go to the eternal God for whom he was created. And the heart will forever be restless until it finds its rest in the God that made Man. Man looks to the world. As 1 John 2 verse 16 says, All that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, and the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. In this, in here, in now, man looks for happiness. Wealth, whatever form that may take. Possessions of any sort, whether it's money, whether it's life's good things, whether it's being successful at at what he loves, whether it's achievement in his chosen field or his chosen hobby, whether it's garnering for oneself fame or the respect of man, whether it's climbing the ladder to some position of power or esteem, whether it's gathering to himself all of the choice experiences, milking this life of every last drop of pleasure before his youth is gone and his days fade. Whether it's realizing his dreams, whatever those dreams may be, worldly man puts his focus on the things here and now and he looks to these to make him happy. He trusts the wealth of the world. 
to be the source of his happiness. He depends upon it for his security. And ultimately what a man trusts and depends upon for his happiness, his security, his hope for the future. That is what he worships. That thing becomes his God. When a man is successful, when a man gathers much wealth to himself, he boasts in it. Isn't that the natural impulse of the human nature upon any success, upon any seeming victory to boast? Wealth makes worth. Might makes right. So man thinks. And when I have gained, it is because I am gifted. It is because I have worked hard. And that gives me license to lord it over the others who have advanced less far than I. Ultimately, the way of the worldly person is to trust wealth, trust the things of the here and now, and look to them to give him that which the human being ultimately desires, immortality. Lasting life. That's what men are ultimately after. Because eternity is set in the heart. And the fall into sin did not remove from man that desire for eternity. Rather, sinful man rejecting God and in the darkness of his sin seeks to find that lasting life in other things. So verse 11 says of natural worldly man, their inward thought is. Their inward thought, this is the the thinking, the natural thinking of man's mind, that their houses shall continue forever, and their dwelling places to all generations. They call their lands after their own names. No man is so foolish as to think he will live in this world forever. For as verse 10 says, every person sees that wise men die. The wise, the skilled, the successful, the famous, as well as the fool and the brutish person. And they leave their wealth to others. It's the bitter truth that man often wants to close his eyes to. And in the younger years of his life may avoid thinking about, but it is a truth that is inescapable. Death is the end of every man. And so man's darkened sinful mind grasps for salvation apart from God and all sorts of things. Man has his false religions which presume to find salvation in some other way than the one true and living God. Man seeks to do all that he can to reverse the ravages of time. How much of man's gold goes to the goal? Slowing aging. Stopping death from coming. But ultimately man knows he can't. And so if personal immortality is at this point out of reach, man thinks, then my name, my legacy, my achievements, let these endure. I can live on in them. My house shall continue forever. The corporation that I have established. The empire that I have built. My kingdom. My achievements. And in this perhaps I can find hope. A sort of immortality. 
a certain victory over the ravages of time that eventually I will succumb to. We sang from Psalm Psalter 104, which is a versification of Psalm 39, which has some very similar themes to Psalm 49. And in Psalm 39, this verdict is passed upon the way, the lifestyle, the thinking of worldly man. Verse 5 of Psalm 39, Verily every man at his best state is altogether vanity. And that's the lesson, the first part of the lesson of wisdom here in Psalm 49. The psalm, like the well-honed edge of a knife, cuts through man's thinking and exposes it to be fatal folly. And shows the emptiness of the glory of this present age. Back to verse 13. This their way. This their way which we've described a little bit. This their way is their folly. Their foolishness. Their self-delusion. Fatal folly. And what the psalm sets forth as above all things exposing the fatal folly of natural man's thinking is that reality of death. Death which is a divine word. Death is the word of God's curse upon the sinner. And death is God's word which as a well-honed knife cuts through man's folly And shows the foolishness of it. The folly of man is exposed in this. What man trusts. Will infallibly. Infallibly fail him. Infallibly fail him. When he needs it most. And the way of man. Invariably ends in total loss and ruin. All men see, as as verse 10 says, that wise men die, likewise the fool and the brutish person. None escape death. Whether a man sits upon a pile of gold, Or whether he is a panhandler with but a copper penny. It makes no difference when death comes. The man who has been a servant of mammon in this world. Will be forsaken by his God. His God will fail him. His mammon. Will do nothing for him. When the day of death comes. That mammon will fail him while he lives. It will never really satisfy his heart. Even the man who sits upon the pile of gold in his mansion. Is not a truly happy person. The worldly man's hope will be undone. 
As one of the Proverbs says, riches have a tendency to grow wings and fly away. How many persons who have sought their happiness and grounded their hope in their possessions have been brought to ruin when those riches winged their flight away. But at death, what good is your gold? Death is no respecter of persons. Death doesn't care about how successful you are. Death takes all. And no matter how much money is in the bank, it can't buy a single breath. Oh yes, as verse 11 says, they call their lands by their own names. Man tries to live on in his name, but there's a bitter irony here. Pitiful immortality is a lingering name on a piece of ground. The bitter irony is that the best way for a man to preserve his name is to have it etched upon a headstone. The only permanent piece of real estate a man can have in this world is his own grave. And thus, the psalm brings out the folly. It goes deeper now in, in verses 7-9. through nine. None of them can by any means redeem his brother, nor give to God a ransom for him. For the redemption of their soul is precious, and it ceaseth forever. And that phrase, it ceaseth forever, means that nothing will suffice for it. There's no amount that you can pay to redeem, to ransom a soul. That that soul, that that person should live forever and not see corruption. The folly of worldliness is that the worldly man so preoccupied on this life fails to exercise stewardship over his soul. The human being is not a beast whose life is in his blood and upon his death ceases to be, but the human being is created by God, body and soul. And after death, the human being will stand before his creator in judgment. No amount of money, no amount of success, no amount of achievement, no amount of experiences, no amount of good works and service in this life can ransom, pay the price to release the soul from death. Because remember, death serves God. Death is the agent of God's curse. Death is judgment for sin. Thus, to escape death requires a ransom to be paid. Not to the devil, not to death itself, but a ransom to be paid to the God against whom every sin is committed. A ransom to be paid to the judge. And the redemption of the soul is precious. There is above all the fatal folly of trusting in riches or anything here below. Everything here below is a vapor soon to be dispelled. Men may boast in this world what their wealth can do for them now, but what will it do them when they descend into the grave? What good is that gold, that power, that position when you stand before the judge of heaven and earth? 
the redemption of the soul, the text says, is beyond price. So the psalm goes on to keep painting this grim picture of the total loss that the folly of man leads him into. Verse 14, death is here personified as a shepherd. Like sheep, they, that is the worldly man, like sheep, they are laid in the grave. Death shall feed upon them. And the upright shall have dominion over them in the morning, and their beauty shall consume in the grave from their dwelling. Man goes about this life seeking the things here below, chasing the illusions of his pleasure, but what's really happening is death as his shepherd is coaxing him down the path into death's own pen, the grave. Where death, that ugly shepherd, will feed upon his sheep. More bitter irony. Verse 13 again, their, this their way is their folly, yet their posterity approve their sayings. And what the text here is describing is the fact that you have man devising these ways of life. These godless ways of life that serve the desires of the flesh. And man looks so successful, he amasses wealth to him. And his descendants all point to him and say, look at that man. Look at our forefather. Look how successful he was. He is to be praised. They approve his sayings. They quote that man. Look at this man. He has everything figured out. Men look at these successful worldlings and emulate them. That's the way to live, the world says. And it's folly and it's delusion. Because that is the way to total loss and ruin. So verse 19 says that a new generation arises and they follow in the same footsteps of folly that their fathers, their predecessors walked all to the same end. Loss. Loss from every point of view. Verse 17, for when he dieth, he shall carry nothing away. All of that wealth, all of those experiences, all of those pleasures milked out of this life. Gone to nothing. His glory shall not descend after him. He built that great corporation. He built that beautiful house. He was a man that others coveted. But his glory will not descend with him into the grave. Verse 10, all of that wealth will be left to others. Verse 14, their beauty shall consume in the grave from their dwelling. Not even the rich fool's personal beauty and grandeur will remain. For the grave is the place of corruption. He shall go to the generation of his fathers. They shall never see light. The way of man. Fatal folly. For it leads to the extinction of the light. And thus the repeated refrain which drives home the lesson of the psalm. 
Nevertheless, man being in honor abideth not. He is like the beasts that perish. Man that is in honor and understandeth it not is like the beasts that perish. The way of the worldly man, that way of folly and self-delusion, seeking his salvation in the things of earth, actually lowers him to the level of the beast. And in his death, he differs not from the beast. Though, in other respects, you will say he is worse off than the beast. The beast dies and ceases to be. Man dies and, as Ecclesiastes 12 verse 7 says, his spirit shall return unto the Lord who gave it to stand in the judgment. And the wealth, the fame, the success, the experiences, the pleasures can do nothing. To save the soul of the one who lived his life against the living God, From sinking to the sinner's proper place. Hell itself. And so there is a word for all here. Wisdom. Which we are called to hearken to. All ye people give ear. All ye inhabitants of the world. Low and high. Rich and poor. Let us beloved hearken to the wisdom of God. That is expounded in this dark saying of Psalm 49. Ponder your path. Ponder your path. The Bible often teaches us wisdom by having us ponder the end of the path. See where the way of worldly man leads. See the fatal folly of that path. And keep your feet from that path. But by the grace of God, walk steadfastly down that straight and narrow way. Outlined for us in the word of God. The straight and narrow way that leads to life eternal. Perishable things will never truly satisfy your soul. Lasting happiness is not found in here, now, this. And none of these things can do what we all most desperately need. Ransom our souls from the grave. And so let us hear the words of Jesus Christ in John 6.27. Labor not for the meat which perisheth, but for that meat which endureth unto everlasting life, which the Son of Man shall give unto you. Another year has passed. Another year in this world. This world which is obsessed with the things of itself. This world which is seeking its happiness, seeking its salvation, looking for hope. All the wrong places. This world which is deluded. What path are we walking? What was this past year about for you? What was it about 
for me? What will this new year be about? What will be the center of my life? What will be my priority? Youth, young people, as you end another year and look ahead to another, who do you want to be like? Who do you want to emulate? Who do you look up to? There's nothing wrong with enjoying the good things of this world. Or even admiring things that God has brought into our life by His providence. 1 Timothy 4 verse 4 says, For every creature of God is good, nothing to be refused if it be received with thanksgiving. But let us heed the lesson of wisdom in this text. Not to walk in the way of folly. To make these things our God. And seek in them our happiness, our hope, our security, our fulfillment. For these things, if trusted, these things, if you entrust your soul to them, they will infallibly fail. But the dark saying upon the harp isn't just a dark saying. It is one that beams with much light. In fact, the dark saying itself has light because it is the wisdom of God for us. But what a ray of light leaps from the page in verse 15. But God. Whenever you run across that expression in Scripture, it's significant and it's worth pausing and pondering the point that is being made. But is an adversative. It's drawing a contrast. It's indicating something contrary to what came before. Something that is very important. But God. Contrary to that. Over against that. God. God. And here is the hinge upon which the psalm turns. Here is where the psalm illuminates our only hope. It sheds light upon the fatal folly of man's natural way so that we can see it. So that we can see it. But it doesn't leave us there. It now turns our gaze to the hope that the child of God has. But God will redeem my soul from the power of the grave. For He shall receive me. Selah. It's not entirely certain what Selah means, but one of the likely meanings is that it is a notation indicating a pause. And so you can think about it this way. Pause and reflect upon that a moment. But God will redeem my soul from the power of the grave, for He shall receive me. Here is a mountaintop of faith. Here is faith talking over against the way of the world and the natural way of my flesh. Here is faith talking, but God. God redeems. And God redeems from that great last enemy which is the end of all men death 
Death which is the leveler of all men. Death which strips man of everything that he has amassed to himself in this life. Death which turns man's body to dust and turns his experiences to dust and turns his gold into nothing and gives it to somebody else. There is victory over death because God redeems his people. Redemption is divine rescue. Accomplished through the paying of the ransom. Now you see the psalm in verse 15 is going back to the concepts of verses 7, 8, and 9. What we need above all is not a pile of gold. What we need above all is to be ransomed. Because as members of Adam's fallen race, apart from grace, we are destined for the same end. As the worldly man. By nature we are no different. By nature we are the same. The very same worldly and world seeking impulses throb in our sinful flesh. And death has a rightful claim upon the sinner. The grave takes legal custody of the soul of the fallen. God's law declares it to be so. The wages of sin is death. But here the psalmist joyfully confesses his faith. God will redeem my soul. And here we see the great contrast being drawn between the worldly preoccupation with here and now and this. And the believing soul's preoccupation with God. The God who I know as my Savior. God will redeem my soul. It's the language here of certain knowledge and assured confidence that is rooted in God's promises of the coming Savior. Faith hopes not in things, but hopes in the Lord. His promise. The psalmist knew that promise, that ancient promise of the coming Christ. And by faith, clinging to that promise, he says, God will redeem my soul. And God does. He redeems. That was his great plan. That's at the heart of his plan for all things. What the Bible reveals about God's eternal counsel. His plan for all of creation. What's dead center of that plan? Christ. Who in all things shall have the preeminence. Who shall bring glory to God. By accomplishing the work of salvation. Saving God's elect people out of sin and death. By bringing them out of the darkness of sin and death. And into the marvelous light of God and His glory. In that God supremely glorifies Himself. The center of God's plan is Christ the Redeemer. Christ the Promised One. And that's how the ransom for your soul and mine is paid. The precious ransom of the soul that we should live forever. 
God sent His Son, His only begotten Son into the world to take upon Himself our flesh, to take upon Himself our name, human being, creature of the dust. He became our brother, our elder brother, so that He can redeem His brother and can give to God a ransom for Him. Yes, indeed, the redemption of their souls is precious. And nothing here below would ever suffice to pay it. He paid it. Not with silver or gold. But with His precious blood. As 1 Peter 1, 18 and 19 says, As ye know that ye were not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold from your vain conversation received by tradition from your fathers. That vain conversation received by tradition from your fathers is this way of folly that Psalm 49 has laid out for us. The way of the world. We've been redeemed from it with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish. Without spot. The Lamb of God. Laid down his life. For his people. Yielded himself to be shepherded by death. Into the grave. There though death would seek to feed upon the Lamb of God. Death's fangs would be broken. And the grave's bars would burst asunder. And the vanquisher of the enemy would arise. Our Redeemer. Who died for us. Who is risen. And therefore death has no more claim on us. There is no more sting in death. And the believer's way. However beset by hardship it may be. Ends. Very differently than the worldling's way. Though wise and foolish. Believer and unbeliever. All come to death. Our deaths could not be any more different. For at death. The worldly man's idols fail him utterly. But at the believer's death. His God. His Redeemer. Saves him to the uttermost. And transports him. Not to the pit of corruption. To the Father's house. The one house that endures forever. So as the last part of verse 15 says. He shall receive me. He shall receive me. In his favor. Into his heaven. Into his house. To be with him. That's where the believer's way is going. To life everlasting. We too will take nothing from this world. We don't need to. The believer doesn't need to because he has everything in the world to come. While death takes everything from the worldly man, it cannot lay a finger upon the inheritance 
of the child of God. Death will say to the worldly man, O rich fool, where is your wealth? And to the proud man, where is your achievement? Where is your fame? Where is your power now in this hour? But the believer will say to death, O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? Praise be to God. Christ Jesus, my Lord, my Redeemer. Here is our only hope. And so again, let's reflect. Let's reflect. The end of a, of a year, at the beginning of a new year. Reflect upon this hope and take heart. Each passing year does not take us closer to loss and to ruin and to hell. And with the continued march of time, we don't have to delude ourselves. In order to find peace. We don't have to close our eyes. To the ugly reality of death. We can stare it in the face. Because we have victory over the ravages of time. We have victory over death. Through Christ Jesus our Lord. Who ransomed our souls. With his precious blood. With each passing year. We are closer to riches untold. Our inheritance the dawn of everlasting day. And while death leads the world like dumb cattle to the pen, death is not your shepherd. The Lord is your shepherd. And the grave is not a permanent piece of real estate. It is heaven's door. The house of the Lord is your home. That shall endure forever. And there we shall abide. World without end. There your name is placed above a room. That will never be lost. There. There will be. No more. Loss. Man that is an honor. And understandeth not. Is like the beasts that perish. But the believer, by faith understands, is not like the beast and never perishes. And so we see this dark saying upon the harp. Having illuminated our only hope, it also strengthens our faith not to fear. Notice that this is where the psalm begins and this is where the psalm ends. Near the beginning in verse 5, the, the psalmist raises this question, Wherefore should I fear in the days of evil, when the iniquity of my heels shall compass me about? The days of evil, the days of trouble, the days of trial, or even the day of one's death. Ecclesiastes uses that expression to refer to the day of one's death, the day of evil. Why should I fear when the iniquity of my heels shall compass me about? And that expression is referring to men of iniquity who surround you and trouble you and persecute you. Who like dogs are constantly nipping at your heels. It's describing a reality that God's people often experience in this world. Why should I fear these things? 
the psalmist says. And the rest of the psalm answers the question, you should not. There is no need to fear. Verse 16, the command near the end of the psalm, Be not thou afraid when one is made rich, when the glory of his house increased. We might expect the psalm to say, don't envy when you see the worldly man's wealth increased and the glory of his house house increased. Don't envy. And certainly other passages of scripture teach that. And that idea is found here too, but the emphasis is on do not fear. Because when worldly men prosper and flourish, it causes fear. When they prosper, they grow bold and they grow brazen in their oppression and persecution of God's people. The way of the godly is pressed when the way of the wicked is prosperous. The psalmist experienced that. There were so many worldly men who made a mockery of him, who were like dogs nipping at his heels. Whether by outright persecution or the continual jeering and ridicule that they made towards him. But also when the wicked prosper. It raises the question. Are they the ones that have it all figured out? And there is really where a temptation comes to us in our day and age. There is much prosperity in our world, in our society, despite all of the trouble and turmoil that is there too. And the question can enter our minds, do worldly men actually have it figured out? And do we have it all wrong? Look how their glory increases. Look how successful they are. Look at the increase of the glory of their houses. Am I losing out? Am I missing out because of my commitments to this Christ? Because He calls me to seek first His kingdom? It can be a temptation that comes to young and to old. Maybe they have the good life. Look at how their posterity approve their sayings. Look at how so many emulate them. Should I not join them? Oh, the call to be worldly and to join the worldly is a siren call that can be so strong and so tempting and so attractive at times. But the psalm answers and says, No, fear not. Remember the lesson of wisdom. Light has been shed upon the fatal folly of that way. Yes, it looks so good on the outside, but remember the end. Remember where it's all going. The world doesn't have it all figured out. The wicked prosper, but see how short-lived it really is in light of eternity. Look at how vain it is for a man to build an empire and to name lands after himself when he himself only occupies a plot of land in a cemetery. Not to mention where the unredeemed soul goes. Look at the end 
of man's fatal folly. And fear not. Fear not when the iniquity of your heels nipping at you. Romans 16 verse 20. The God of peace shall bruise Satan under your feet shortly. Instead of joining the worldly in their folly. Resist that temptation and wait patiently upon the Lord. He will exalt you in due time. The worldly are not to be envied or to be feared, but to be pitied. Pitied. The way of the worldly leads to utter ruin. There too is a reason to shine as a light. To be a living epistle in our lives so that men can look and read the message of this psalm in us. The way of the world leads to death. The way of faith in Christ Jesus is the way of life. So back to the middle of verse 14. While death leads the worldly like sheep to the grave, the upright shall have dominion over them in the morning. You might ask, what is this morning that is being talked about? Well, it's the same morning that Daniel 12 verse 2 talks about. When it says, many of them that sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake. Some to everlasting life and some to shame and everlasting contempt. The hope of the godly, the hope of the believer is the dawn of the age to come. The morning of the day of resurrection. That is when the great reversal will take place. And all who patiently waited upon the Lord shall be in due time exalted. So press on, pilgrim. Another year is past. Another year lies ahead. Don't settle down. Stay on the road. Don't listen to all the jeering voices along the side of the road saying, this way is better. Join us on the broad and the flat way. Look at all of the fun, all of the pleasures, all of the wealth that you can find on this road. But stick to that straight and narrow way. Looking forward by faith. Walking homeward. Our hope is in the God who has redeemed us and who has won for us treasure beyond compare. And nothing can ever compare with those riches in Christ. Fear not. Keep walking. Pilgrim of the Lord. Amen. Heavenly Father, we thank Thee for the instruction and wisdom that this psalm gives us. Use Thy Word to help us see more clearly the folly of worldliness. To see more clearly that our only hope is in Thee. And without fear, to walk steadfastly in the way that Thy Word marks out for us. We thank Thee that Thou hast been our guide in the year 
that is now finished be our guide in the year to come and all of our days, even unto death and our arrival home. This we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.